Father, to change and be what you want them to be, or harden their heart. But Lord God, we pray that your spirit would move on every person. So we lay everything at the door, and we give you our whole heart, Lord.
We say yes, Father. Have your way in this place. Have your way in our life, Father.
asking for his presence. Come and fill this place, Father. So come down, Lord, like never before. Oh, sing it. Cause your presence is an open door. We want you.
worthy of all. Everything that I desire, everything that I hope, all my own self-made plans, you're worthy of above all that, of all my praise, all my devotion, everything that I have.
Just glorify him, magnify him. Just give him praise because he's worthy.
his name this morning God we bless your name we worship you God we lift you up oh God we exalt you Lord because you are God you are creator Elohim creator out of nothing God we lift you up and we give you our all this morning God we give you everything God we lift you up and we honor you Jesus Jesus your word says if I be lifted up I will draw all men unto me this morning, we're going to pray over a couple topics. At Life Church, we believe in prayer, and this is the time we transition into prayer. We're going to pray that God continues to restore families. We're going to pray that for lost and prodigals, children that are far from God right now, we're going to pray them into the kingdom. And lastly, we're going to pray for church leadership. Are you ready to pray this morning? Are you ready to pray? God, we just come before you today and we pray. Lord, we pray that you would restore families. God, there's families connected to this church that are in shambles. That the enemy has come in and caused divorce, has come in children that disobey, all types of things, all types of situations, Lord. And we pray that you reverse the shambles, God. We pray that you restore families right now. God, we believe that you can do it, Lord. And we pray that you bring restoration to families that are in disarray, God. Families that are just affected by drugs, affected by alcohol, affected by generational curses. We just pray that you restore families that are in disarray right now. We stand in the gap and we believe that you are going to restore families, God. Lord, Christmas and Thanksgiving will no longer be loathed because of the families get together, but it'll be an amazing time. It'll be a redeemed time because you are working powerfully, Lord. God, we pray for the prodigals, children that are far from God, sons and daughters that have walked away from the faith. We call them home right now in Jesus' name. Holy Spirit, that you would go and redeem them. Holy Spirit, right now in their mess, in the pigsty, you would awaken their spirit. You would awaken their soul in Jesus' name. Lord, we pray right now that you would awaken souls. God, awaken spirits, Lord. That your grace would be released. God, you would awaken dead men in Jesus' name. Even for individuals in this service today, God, awaken dead men. 
awaken the prodigals that have made terrible decisions that have that have affected their life negatively we pray you change those right now you reverse what the enemy meant for evil god what the enemy has stolen you restored in jesus name we ask God, we ask for our leadership represented here at Life Church, Lord, that you come around our leadership, God, that you would have angels to encamp around them to protect them. We pray for their families, God, the family of our leadership, individuals represented here, God, that stand out with targets on their back, God. We pray you empower them. We pray you restore them. We pray you revive them. You give them new ideas for their ministries. You give them creative ways to reach the lost. You give them innovative ideas to reach people, Lord. We just pray that your spirit would encourage them. Your spirit would restore them. Your spirit would revive them in Jesus name and if you agree with that this morning why don't you say amen 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 thank you Lord hallelujah hey why don't you greet somebody tell them hello as you find your seat this morning welcome them to church Well, good morning, Life Church. It's so great to see you and to be here with you this morning. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Josh. I'm one of the pastors here at Life Church, and we're so glad you decided to be with us. We're so glad you decided to join us this morning. If this is your first time here at Life Church, we want to welcome you. And if this is your first time, we invite you to visit the Welcome Center after service to fill out a Connect card. We got a special gift for you. We use these Connect cards to help you find your place in our church, help you find your place in God's kingdom, because you know what? You belong here. Everybody needs a place to belong, and you belong at Life Church, and so we want to connect with you. We want to get to know you and help you find your place. Uh, at this time, Pastor Nick's coming, and uh, he's going to give us an update on Micaiah's call. This weekend, we had Micaiah's call. It was a youth event. It was a, um, a conference, and it was extremely powerful, so Pastor Nick's going to give us an update. Good morning, Life Church. Oh, come on, we can do better than that, right? I say, good morning, Life Church. <clears throat> what happened this weekend? Um, it's hard to put into words. Um, leading up to the conference, uh, a lot of things didn't go as I wanted them to go, but who knows that God's in charge, right? When he has a plan, he's going to see it through. And this weekend, our assignment was to raise up a generation of Micaiahs who will preach the truth, whatever the Lord tells them. <clears throat> and while we were worshiping, God laid the scripture on my heart. Isaiah 43, 19 says, Behold, I am doing a new thing. Whew. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. If I could just take a moment and just speak just for a second. See, this generation is walking through a desert. They feel like there's no way to turn, right? Oh, but God has a plan, right? He says, behold, I am doing a new thing. And I'm here to tell you that this weekend, what happened in this place at Life Church, God did a new thing. We saw miracles, signs, and wonders. For those in the, that are here that attended this weekend, the weighty presence of God is something that I've never felt before. I've heard people talk about it like, man, it's heavy. And I felt that in this room this weekend. 
and with that, with worship and the word, the speakers, man, everybody did amazing. Uh, there was wisdom. There is a practical teaching. Um, and then just uh, students were allowed, uh, given opportunity to just enter into God with everything they have. And uh, in, in the midst of all this, I would like to ask Miss Elena, come to the front. Grab, grab your crutches for me, Elena, please. <clears throat> yeah, we're about to testify. Amen. Come on, can we get an amen? Amen. So I want to share a little bit. It was the last set of, of, of the night before uh, Pastor uh, Evangelist Jonathan Osteen was preaching, and I was leading the set. I was leading the worship, and everybody knows I love to worship, right? So I'm sitting there, and I'm worshiping, I'm singing, and God, I just kept seeing Elena right here. I saw her the whole time, Friday night, Saturday. She was just, I knew. She's like, I'm going to be healed. And I just felt something in my spirit. I just kept getting directed to her. I just kept looking at her. I couldn't worship. I just kept watching her. And God said, put the mic down and go pray for her. I was like, but Lord, I'm the one leading the set. Like everybody's waiting. He's like, go pray for her. <clears throat> so I put my mic down and everybody's kind of looking at me crazy on the stage. Like, where are you going? And I went straight down there and I laid my hands on Elena's ankle and I began to pray. And the reason I did that is because the reason I put the mic up is because God told me, he showed me in my heart, he said, she is not leaving with those crutches. And I stood on that promise. I said, Lord, I know that that's not me. That's not me looking at you saying, you're going to leave. I know, Lord, that's your spirit. And I laid hands and I prayed, and guess what? Nothing happened. So I walked away and I said, God, I still believe, Lord, that you're going to heal her. Because, Lord, you told me, I know it's in my spirit that you're going to heal her. She's not leaving with these crutches. Somebody else prayed for her, which was an adult. They laid hands and they prayed and they, you know, uh, interceded and prayed for her healing. Nothing happened. We're up here and we're worshiping, continue worship. And two students came and laid hands on her. And I'm going to let you finish. <laughs> so um, for those who don't know what was um, wrong with me, I had sprained my ankle. And um, after 10 days, actually 12 days, it was still swelling. Um, and not going away, and I was in pain. So I'm um, here at this altar, and like he said, two students are coming to pray for me. After many, many adults, every adult who sees me is like, can I lay hands on it? Can we pray for it? Can it be you? And I'm like, yes, yes, pray for it. And so these two students pray for me. And I just knew, I was like, Lord, this is it. This is the purpose. And I knew that because I believe that God has healing for us and that I can receive it in Jesus' name and by the blood that he shed for me. But I said, Lord, is there a purpose for this? Is there a reason why? Is there a certain place, a certain timing that you want this to happen? And so I had been waiting and praying. And so when the students came to pray for me, I said, okay, this is it. I believe this is it. This is what the Lord wants to do right now. He wants to build their faith and encourage them. And so... They pray for me, and I was overcome by the presence of the Lord and slain in the spirit for a while. And in that time, many of you may not know that I was also dealing with uh, tendinitis in my arms and my bicep muscles, um, basically the inflammation of the tendons. And it was really bad before I sprained my ankle. And then after I sprained my ankle, I ignored it because I just had to use crutches and you know carry myself with my arms. Um, but it was really bad, and the Lord told me in that moment, he said, daughter, you don't have to worry about a thing. Be healed. When the father says be healed, <laughs> it has to be healed. <laughs> and so 
I caught up and I was completely healed. My ankle doesn't hurt anymore. It's not sprained. I can jump. I can dance. My arms don't hurt anymore. They're not throbbing. Um, and the Lord, I believe he did that for a certain timing for a specific reason to, to encourage the faith of, um, young, um, women and men of God, their, uh, their faith, that childlike faith. We need to be called to childlike faith. And I'm just so, 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 so grateful. I can't tell you how excited and how amazing my God is that he would do this. Hallelujah. Aren't you glad we still serve a miracle-working God? Amen. Thank you, Lord. Hey, I also wanted to remind you guys about groups. So we're launching life groups on August 27th, August 26th, that weekend. Uh, we're excited about life groups last weekend. We had an interest meeting. And, you know, I just wanted to share real briefly uh, for those of you that, man, what's this about? What does it look like? So life group is our endeavor to try and add community and give you guys an opportunity to connect with one another and also connect with God. It's in a way that we've decided that, you know what, this is a, this is a great way to organically disciple individuals that are hungry for Jesus. So um, kind of we've met with our leaders and basically an outline of what we think groups are going to look like, what we know they're going to look like. You know, it's going to be a time of fellowship where we come together over a meal. It's going to be a time where uh, we, we have a discussion of, uh, about faith, so uh, our leaders are going to have curriculum that they're going to talk about, and it's going to be in a small group setting. So it'll be three to four families, five to ten people, and man, it's going to be an awesome time. You know what? It's going to be as innovative as when Thomas Edison created the light bulb. Oh, come on. Some of you remember that. Don't get dignified with me. But no, all jokes aside, it's going to be an awesome time, man, an awesome opportunity to connect with somebody, to really have your faith stretched, have your faith grown. And so we're going to continue to talk about that when we launch uh, August 26th, that weekend, that week. So we'll have sign-up sheets for those of you that are interested. And uh, it's going to be an awesome time. Also, I wanted to remind you guys about the kids fine arts meeting upstairs. So this is for individuals, children that are interested in fine arts. And that's going to be immediately following service. We're going to have a meeting for those that are interested in fine arts to participate and be a part of that. That's going to be upstairs. Pastor Tracy's leading that. And also one more announcement and then we're going to move on. Uh, we are calling the church to a fast uh, on August 14th through the 19th. This is in preparation for our Ignite Conference. So we're having the Ignite Conference. It's going to be August 19th through the 21st. Dr. Dennis and Pebway is coming in. And man, it's going to be a powerful time with the Lord. And we want to prepare our hearts. We want to prepare uh, for what God's going to do in us. So uh, this Wednesday, I'm going to be preaching on fasting and prayer and what that looks like for the believer and kind of bringing some clarity to that. And then we're going to be talking about that more as we come. But you know what? We're calling the church to a fast that we want to right. prepare our hearts, prepare our minds that, you know what, God, we want to get our flesh and ourselves out of the way, and we want you to move powerfully in our service. Amen? Hey, Proverbs 3.9 says, Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. We have boxes on the back wall. We've also got a text to give feature. We've got a Life Church app, and we've got a giving feature on our website. We want you guys to be afforded every opportunity to partner with the Lord in giving. Turn your attention to the screen. We've got a video this morning. 
What a year 2021 has been. COVID, the economic chaos, racial tensions, progressivism all over the place, politics, apathy. It's, it's really crazy out there. The church, supposed to be the light of the world, also seems lost. I know the, I know the modern church likes to be given stuff. You want me to sit here and declare, in the name of Jesus, you are victors. How the, you are, come, go. That, we now have empirical evidence, ladies and gentlemen, that has made a weak church. There's a war out there. This is war. Many of us are still struggling with, with lockdowns while others have permanently shut their doors. We're mostly surviving, unsure what to do. What is God saying to us? Amen. Are you ready? Are you ready for it? Two of you, really. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Do what? Lord willing, amen. Well, we all say that, amen. God let it happen. Uh, I, have a, I have a word this morning, and it's been a difficult one to come by. I, I, I don't know how to explain that. Um, Pastor Josh, probably you know what I'm talking about. Maybe a few others, if you've ever been given the task of bringing forth the Word of God uh, in a group, whether it's a small group or whatever. Uh, I have a process that God usually works with me on, and, and usually by Wednesday or Thursday, I have a good idea where he's wanting, what he's wanting to do on Sunday. In fact, I don't start a message he shows me what he wants to do, and then it works back to the message. And so um, I began working on that and put it together, and yet I had a, a sense that something wasn't right, was out of place. And so uh, um, a lot of times during the week, he'll give me thoughts, and I'll write those thoughts down, thinking they are going to all go together. And so after... Uh, that Friday, I, I threw, I took that other one, and put it aside, put it in my file cabinet, you know, on my computer. That one's going to be another time somewhere, probably. Who knows? And then um, uh, all day Friday, I just had this uh, anxiousness, if I could put it that way, saying, "Lord, what is it you're trying to say?" And and He dropped something in my spirit. So I sat down and began studying and praying, and put a whole message together. In fact, two of them. And still, I woke up Saturday going, something's not right. It's like, have you ever felt things were out of order? You know what I'm saying? In other words, it's like, yes, but not now. It's this, not there, whatever. And so, needless to say, all day yesterday, I was like, God, <laughs> if you don't, you've got to come through because I'm not just going to get up and do something. I'll just close the book and say, got nothing, rather than just, you know, whatever. And so it wasn't until yesterday afternoon that um, the Holy Spirit began to speak to me about this other thing. So I began working, and I worked till 
What time did I quit, baby? Almost midnight last night? Yeah. And then uh, woke up twice in the middle of the night and got up early this morning. And um, God gave me two more parts to it. And so I had to go figure out where that went. And so it's an encouraging message, but it's also a message of kind of warning, if I can put it that way. Uh, not warning. That's a bad word. I mean, awareness might be a better word, okay? Um, um, and, and I have to tell you this. It's not based on this, but he brought this back to remembrance to me early this morning. Um, back in about 1999, <clears throat> my wife and I were traveling in ministry uh, to churches all over the country. And one, during one of the services that we were in, the Holy Spirit showed me the best I can say is was like an open vision. And all I saw was as if I was staring into a clear lit night where there were stars out and I saw the moon, but it was, a, it was like that part that was like what we would call a new moon. You know, it's just, it's blackened out, but you can still kind of see it out up there. And I thought, Lord, what are you? So I went through the, the Bible, look at new moon, new moon, you know, and, and I, it was just nothing there. But all I can tell you is that in the last 24 years or so, at some point, without even thinking about it, in the middle of something, might be working, might be in church, might be just anywhere, all of a sudden, the Lord would show me that again. But the next time he did it, for example, it was a, what we call a, basically like, I don't know what the, the moon stages are, I forgot, I'm, I'm, you know. But it's just that part where I, when I was a kid, my mama told me that was God's fingernail, you know, where you just see the little sliver of, it, of the moon. And then it, it's happened multiples of times over the years. And each time the moon was in a different phase until about two years ago, the next time I saw it. And again, I'm not looking for it. I'm not praying for it or I'm not, I'm not, it just, I don't know how to explain that to you unless you've actually had that happen. All of a sudden I saw a full moon. And so I felt like the Lord was saying something had transpired over the 20-something years that was bringing a fullness or a completeness. And then just recently, it happened again, except this time I saw the full moon, and then all of a sudden I saw it turn into liquid fire. And God brought that back to remembrance to me this morning. And, and so that in and of itself is not the point of this message, but it, it's going to add to it, okay? So let me get into it right now. And the message is simply called, It's Harvest Time. Uh, in Galatians chapter 6, verse 7 and 8, it says, Be not deceived. <clears throat> um, anytime Jesus said things like this, or the apostle Paul or Peter or anyone started off a statement being saying, be not deceived. He's saying it for two reasons. One, you can be deceived. Two, he's, he's trying to emphasize a point. Okay? So that's what he's saying here. He says, be not deceived. 
God is not mocked. And the word mocked there means ridiculed. And if, if there was ever a time in which we are living in which our God is being ridiculed by the culture of the world today, it's now. And it says, be not deceived. Don't fool yourselves. Don't pretend. Just wake up and understand that God is not going to be mocked. He's not going to be ridiculed. And he goes on and says, for whatsoever a man, woman, boy, girl, sows, that will he also reap. So it says whatsoever. It doesn't say some things. It doesn't say um, it, whatsoever is everything. Okay, in other words, whatever you have, whatever you're sowing, that person is going to reap it. And so I, I've, I've kind of broke this down. In fact, it was amazing as, I, as yesterday as I was going through this, I came up with multiple rules, principles. I'm just going to call them laws, okay? And I'm just calling them harvest laws, okay? So let me get started. And the very first one is the harvest law is that we reap in kind what we sow. I've always been taught this. My pastor, my mentor before taught me this. He said, Bob, if, if you sow anger, you're going to reap anger. If you, if you sow mercy, you're going to reap mercy. If you, if you sow uh, um, discord, you're going to reap discord. If you're going to sow bitterness, you're going to reap bitterness. If you're going to sow love, you're going to reap love, okay? It's, it's the law of the harvest. It's what you plant is what you're going to receive. And it says we reap in kind what we sow. And I know that sounds kind of strange, but but I went back to Genesis and found several scriptures. I want to read them to you real quick. And it said, Genesis 1.11 says, Then God said, Let the land produce vegetation, seed-bearing plants and trees on the land that bear fruit with seed in it according to their various kinds. And, and I'm just going to say this. Look, you don't plant tomatoes and get watermelons. Okay? I mean, that's all I'm going to say on that. It's just, it's... You, you're going to receive that which you plant, okay? And, and Genesis 1 and 20, it says, So God created the great creatures of the sea and every living thing with which the water teems, and that moves about in it according to their kinds, and every winged bird according to its kind. Okay, Genesis 1.24, and God said, let the land produce living creatures according to their kinds, and the livestock and the creatures that move along the ground with the animals, each according to its kind. So, what we see in, in the realm of nature is by, by, uh, from uh, zoology to um, uh, botanical type things, whatever, even in, the, in human nature, uh, God says basically we give, we sow and we receive back, okay? The laws of nature are that we each produce after its own kind, and this is true even in the spiritual realm. Over in the New Testament, in James chapter 3, James writes this in his letter, in verse, beginning with verse 11, he says, Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? He says, My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives and a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. So he's saying this, this law of the harvest is that you reap 
that which you have sown. Fresh water can't bring forth salt water. Salt water can't bring forth fresh water. Oh, I know with science and technology, but in natural, it cannot. You don't plant blueberries and get figs. I mean, it just, it's just that's just the way it is, okay? And so the, the, the law of this harvest of what we sow is going to what be what we reap can either be a blessing or it can be a negative thing. I've already touched on that, but look at Galatians 6 and 8. It says, for the one who sows to his own flesh will, will from the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And so what we have to understand is that sowing requires effort, okay? It doesn't happen without exertion on our part. You cannot sow unintentionally. I mean, you're, you're doing this. You're sowing and you're reaping in your life. We all are, okay? And oftentimes, sowing involves uh, something that is needed uh, or something that has value or a cost or uh, means something to us. Uh, why? Because we sow why would you give away something that is meaning or why would you give away something that you need because we believe that God will sustain us during that time? I'll give you an example. For example, a farmer, uh, when, when the winter is over and the springtime has come, a farmer has to expend tremendous amount of money and energy during time of sowing in his fields. And oftentimes... Even, I, I mean, I, I, one of my first jobs when I lived in California, when I was about 14 years old, I worked for this cattle rancher guy. And, um, and, and I found out how hard it was working on that ranch, you know. And he talked about the cost of things. So he talked about gasoline. He talked about having hay, having feed, having to pay laborers, all those kinds of things. And, but a farmer is going out to sow the ground they're having to expend energy and money, and a lot of times in the springtime, maybe that money is tight, and, um, and, and, but they have to spend it because if they don't, they don't spend it. They can't sow, and if they don't sow, then there's not going to be a harvest come fall. Does that make sense? So what they're, what they're trusting in, what a farmer's trusting in as they're out there plowing the fields and sowing the seed and, and take, maintaining it and everything else, there's no money coming in. Money's just going out. There's no money coming in. But what they're trusting in is the law of the harvest that they will reap what they sow. And so they're, they're trusting that what's going to come eventually in the harvest will be enough to sustain them for another year. So spiritually, whatsoever we sow, we do so recognizing that our source is not our efforts and that it's not our resources, but that it's God who is our resource and we trust him that he's going to sustain him. Sustain us. That, that's the principle, for example, behind tithing uh, of our income and our increase. I know in the news lately, if you haven't seen it, there's been a big stink about this. Some money preacher all of a sudden switched his theology about tithing. And, and, and he, he went from being so far off this way to so far off this way. And, and, and it's a biblical principle, and that is the tithe. And, and the tithe simply means 
The first tenth, the tenth, is the Lord's. The Bible says the tithe is the Lord's. I love it when people come to me and say, can I tithe 5%? And I go, tithe means tenth. Can I do seven? I've had people ask me this. Can I start at three? I say, you can, but it's not a tithe. It's the Lord's, and it's not your money. They go, well, I paid my tithe. It's not your tithe. The tithe is the Lord's. All you are is the manager of it. It's easy to give away other people's money. But if we think of it as ours, then we tend to hold on to it. Am I, am I right about that? And here's the thing. We, put, we, we understand that as we sow, we don't sow to get back. This has been the fallacy of what's been taught in churches for the last 20, 30 years. Give and God will give you more. You don't give to get. You give because he's God. And he is your resource. He is your sustenance. He is the one who will see you through. And so when the washing machine is broken and the car insurance is due and you need to buy groceries, you still pay the tithe first. And, and, and notice I say paid because that's what the Bible says. We don't give a tithe. We pay the tithe. I mean, how many of you give your light bill? You know, I gave my light bill today. No, you paid your light bill. You know, I mean, we don't, you know, I gave my car note today. No, you paid your car note because it, it, it that, that thing belongs to someone else. Well, the, 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 our resources, may, we may say they belong to us, but who gave them to us? God gave them to us, and he's the one who's trusting us with it. And so we pay the tithe first, um, and God promised to meet your needs according to his riches and glory. When we put him first, then he'll take care of us. And that's why Jesus said in Matthew 6, 33, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these other things will be added unto you. So I want to kind of expound a little bit about this thing about sowing in kind. I could probably just move right on, but, but there's some really interesting examples all through the scripture, but I just want to look at a couple of them. And... and uh, just the other day, I was listening to someone talk about uh, in the book of Esther, and all of a sudden this came back to me. And if you remember this, how many of you have read the book of Esther? Anybody? A few of you know what I'm talking about. If you don't, go read it. It's not that long. <laughs> but in the book of Esther, there was an evil person named Haman, and he hated Mordecai, who was a Jew, and he hated really all the Jews. And so he schemed and came up with a way to um, get rid of Mordecai. In fact, the overall bigger plan was to get rid of all the Jews. And so he goes to the king under the guise of something else, like they've insulted you, king, and you said this, and so would you give me the power to put them to death, you know, okay? And so this is what happens, and he gets the king's approval because the king thinks his story is true. And the long and short of it is that Mordecai goes to Esther and says, God has raised you up for such a time as this so that you could have intercede with the king. Otherwise, all of the household of the Jews are going to be destroyed, and don't think that you're going to be safe in the king's palace. He said, because you're a Jew too. 
And so the, the long and short of it is that she does intercede and, she, and, and the king's eyes are open and this, this evil man, Haman, he, 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 he set out to hang Mordecai by some, and he had gallows built to hang him by and Haman ends up being hung in the very gallows that he, he, he built. He, he was sowing destruction and he reaped destruction by the very instrument that he had planned to use. In, in the story of Jacob, uh, when I first used to, when I was a young Christian, I used to read about Jacob. I pictured myself like Jacob. Always scheming, always planning, always coming up with some way to get out of the situation I'd ever gotten into. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Anybody? Oh, thank you. I'm glad somebody knows what I'm talking about. But if you remember, there's a couple stories in the life of Jacob, and I won't go into great detail, but there was one. Um, Jacob and his mother. Um, Jacob wanted, and his mother wanted him to get the firstborn son's birthright. I don't have a lot of time to go into that, but, but the firstborn son got a special birthright, and it was worth more than double any other child that may have been born. And so um, his, his dad was, his eyesight was going bad, and he was getting old and feeble, so they, they killed some goats, put some goat skin and hair on his arms and went in and to his father. And when, because his brother was an outdoorsy, big, you know, hairy man, the Bible says. And so his father felt his arms and smelled and he thought it was his oldest son. And he puts, he blesses him with the firstborn birthright. And then he leaves. And the older brother Esau comes in and he says, Father, I've brought you this. And he goes, and who are you? He said, I'm Esau, your, your oldest son, your first one. Bless me with the blessing that is mine. And, and the father figures out that he's been deceived by the younger son by him putting goatskin and hair on his arms, okay? I, it's a weird story. It just is. But, but here's a couple I, I don't think they're coincidences later on in, in Jacob's older years he has a number of sons and they were envious of one of the youngest Joseph and they they take him, they throw him in a pit. They decided that slave traders are coming by. They're going to sell him, get money for it. But what do they do? They kill a goat and put goat's blood on the coat and send it back to the father and deceive the father that a wild animal got him. <laughs> Later on, in, in the earlier years of, of Jacob's life, after he had pulled off this first scheme he finds a woman he wants to marry and her name's Rachel and he goes to Laman the father and says I want to marry her and the father says you got to work for me seven years before you can have her so Jacob worked seven years and finally the day comes that he's going to get Rachel as his wife 
And the Bible talks about that. And when he goes into that tent that night, it's not Rachel, but it's her older sister, Leah. He's been deceived. And he has to work another seven years to get the hand of Rachel. So what I'm saying is that Jacob means supplanter, which is often interpreted as someone who seizes or schemes or circumvents or usurps. He deceived people in his day, and what happens to him throughout his life, even until his older years, he's deceived. He grew up scheming to get what he wanted, and he, he, he reaped the fruit of all that scheming. And, and you might be thinking, oh, dear Jesus, help me. I know my past. <laughs> but can I tell you something? How many of you want some good news? <laughs> Jacob had an encounter with God. In fact, in Genesis 32, it says he wrestled with a man that we learn later was the pre-incarnate Christ himself and his name was changed from Jacob to Israel, but not only was his name changed, his life was changed also. So thank God for Jesus paying the price for you and I and delivering us. The Bible says we have been delivered from judgment unto life. So I don't have to worry about all my past and the things that I've done somewhere waiting for me over here. Okay? However, <laughs> can I tell you that there, even after coming to Christ, there are times that the actions of our past have present consequences, especially when it comes in, in regards to the law of the land. I, I used to work for Teen Challenge up in Tennessee, and um, our, the judge of that county the juvenile judge was also a Baptist minister. And it was amazing how many of these young people would get in trouble, spend a weekend in jail, and they'd be told, hey, your hearing is Monday or Tuesday, and judge so-and-so is hearing it, and they'd find out he's a preacher. And there was always a Gideon's Bible left in the jail cell. And they would get religion in jail. And I'll never forget one instance. One guy came in, he had that Bible under his arm. He was all cleaned up and everything. He, he had learned the lingo. And, and the judge heard his case, and he said, I'm sentencing you to like a year and a half or two years. I don't remember exactly the sentence, but I'm sentencing you for the, the things that you've done. And the man, the man stood up, and he said, but judge, I just told you I gave my life to Jesus. And the Bible says Behold, all things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. I am a new creation in Jesus Christ. And he was smiling, holding that Bible like he had got that over on the judge. And the judge says, I think that's awesome. That's great. That's the best start that you can make. He says, but I'm sentencing you to X amount of time in, in jail. And he said, but I'm a new creation. I'm a new man. He said, good. He said, but the old man's going to serve time. <laughs> and, 
And he instantly lost his religion, threw his Bible at the judge, which he added another year onto his time for doing that. And again, you reap what you sow. And, um, but even if that should happen, that you should find yourself giving your life to God in a genuine way and, you, and you're in a jail or whatever, guess what? God can use you there, okay? But the Bible clearly states that as Christians, we're still going to give an account for every thought, word, and deed after coming to Christ. It's at the judgment seat of Christ. It's not in regards to salvation, but it is in regards to position and rewards at the second coming. So we need to understand that every word, every thought, every deed that you do every day is a seed being planted towards your life. And if God had given this message to me on Thursday, I'd handed every one of you a pack of seeds <laughs> and ask you, what are you going to do with your seeds today? Because every word, every thought, every action is a seed that you're planting. And, and, and you have to decide how you're going to sow it because how you sow it is how you're going to reap. So the principle of reaping and sowing means that you're reaping or harvesting today which you've already previously planted. Got quiet on me. It's true. You say, well, why are you talking about this? Because the Holy Spirit said that we are entering a season. Season in the scripture is a specific time on God's calendar. I don't know what it is. I don't know how long it is. But we're entering a season where he is already beginning to shake everything that can be shaken. And in this season, you're going to see people in high places, political, religious, secular, and every workplace, families, whatever, God is going to expose them. Listen to me, because it's a time of harvest, and the harvest works both ways. There's, there's the negative side, and there's the positive side. And, and God is saying that there is go, they are going to reap a just recompense for their work. And so if the sowing is pleasurable, a lot of times the reaping is painful. But if the sowing is difficult and wearisome and painful at times and sacrificial, guess what? The reaping is with joy. So many of God's people today have lived their lives in a manner to glorify Jesus Christ but in the season that we're coming into, as God deals with the unjust, he's also going to pour out blessings upon those who have been sowing, not for selfish gain, but for kingdom purposes. God said if you do something to get public recognition and praise, then, then you've got your reward. But if you do something for the kingdom of God and you're not interested in drawing attention to yourself, there is a reward or a harvest or a blessing that is going to come your way. So you might be thinking, well, why now? 
Why has it taken so long to see the reaping for all the sowing I've done? Now, some of you, you've been a Christian a very short period of time, and, and maybe you can't relate to this, but there's some of you in here, like myself, up that are my age or maybe younger or older, and you've been sowing for years faithfully, been sowing and sowing and sowing and sowing and sowing, and you saying, God, why now? Why is it taking this long? And I want to say to you, because God has his seasons on his calendar, which brings me to the second law, and that is that you reap in a different season than you sow. And this is the misnomer a lot of people have. They say, oh, if you'll sow 100, God will give you 1,000 right now. Now, God can do that, but that's not the principle. That's, that misses the whole principle of giving. This is true negatively and positively about reaping in different seasons. I've seen people with an old expression that's from when I was growing up. They used to say they've sown their oats and now they're reaping from it. And I've seen people who in their younger life seem successful and respected and they've got money and prestige and yet they're as wicked as the day is long and here you are serving God and being open and honest and everything else and saying but what about me God what's going on here's what I've learned is that if they've had success and all that stuff, but have lived their lives according to their own agenda, own desire, everything else. Usually later in life, when that harvest begins to come, they're too old to do anything about it and too old to change. They just won't. If the sowing is pleasurable, then oftentimes the reaping will be painful. James 1.15 says, when desire has conceived, it, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. See, sin is pleasurable. I laugh at preachers who will say, sin is not fun. Sin is fun. But it comes with a price tag. It comes with a price tag. The Bible says it leads to death. In the book of Hebrews, chapter 11, verse 24 through 25, look what it says about Moses. It says, by faith, Moses, when he come, when come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer the affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. Notice that. He suffered with God's people rather than enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. And we need to understand that harvest never comes immediately after planting. If you don't believe me, go ask a farmer. He doesn't go out and plant his field with corn and the next day there's seven feet tall corn stalks. It doesn't work that way. There's an old adage, I remember this from a little boy. It says, payday is coming in this life or the next. It's coming. 
And people may think that they've got away with something, but it will usually come back at a time that they can't correct it and they cannot fix it. But on the positive side, say amen to that. On the positive side, there have been many who have been walking with God and they've been faithful serving God and they've been wondering, where's the harvest I've been promised? Where is it? Where, what's, where's the fruit of my labors? God, where is that which I have been sowing into your kingdom? What is happening? And many are at the age where they can't do what they used to do. They feel like that they don't have the influence they used to have. Maybe their health is such that they can't do what they would want to do. And my friends, I'm telling you, God just gave me these three words. And it's the title of this message. It's harvest time. We have entered into a season. It's harvest time. And th that old song that says, look what the Lord has done, is going to become a standard in your repertoire of daily praise. I mean, day after day after day after day, you're going to see God beginning to bring forth harvest and harvest and harvest and harvest and harvest and harvest. And you're going to be saying, look what God has done. Oh, look what God has done. Look what God has done. Look what God has done. Look what God has done people are gonna get sick of hearing you go look what God has done why you've been sowing and sowing and sowing and God has a good memory he has not forgotten the promises he's promised you he has not forgotten what you have sowed the effort you have put forth the prayers the actions he's not given up on that he has a season for it Elena said it this morning. She didn't realize why well, she's going to preach my message. Said, why? This person prayed, this person prayed, this person prayed, this person prayed, this person prayed. But it was there, God had a purpose. There was a time for it. It isn't any different than when the, the man by the gate, beautiful. In the book of Acts, it says Peter and John went to pray. It was their standard thing. It was the normal time for them to go pray. They passed this guy many, many times. In fact, Jesus had passed this guy. Because the Bible says they brought him every day and put him there. And Jesus went many times in time for prayer to go into that place. But he didn't heal him. Why? Because he had a time. And on this day, as he's walking by, Holy Spirit speaks to Peter, and Peter stops and says, hey, John. John said, let's do it. You know, and he looks at him and says, silver and gold I don't have, but what I have I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ. Rise up and walk. And the man, the, Luke, the gospel, the physician, writes, and his ankle bone straightened forthwith, and he stood up and ran into the temple praising God. See, if Jesus could have healed him, he'd just been another statistic. But God was waiting to break a revival out in that church, in that tabernacle, in that sanctuary, in that, that place. And, and, and the people rejoiced or rejected it. I'm telling you, God is a time. And God has said, he will give you the strength to enjoy your harvest. It may not be the, the way you expect it, but it's going to come. I thought about Caleb 
He was one of the 12 spies that were sent over into the promised land. God, God never intended to send spies. He said, just go take the land. But they got together, had a committee meeting, came to Moses and said, we've decided we need to send spies to make sure that what God's telling us is true. So they sent 12 spies over. Joshua and Caleb were part of that. And out of the 12, they were the only two that said it is as God said. The fruit's just like God said. It's, the cities are just like God said. Everything is just like God said. And the other 10 said, yeah, but we look like grasshoppers in their eyes. And then two of them said, let's go take the land. And they said, we can't take the land, God said, because you doubted me, you'll die in this wilderness. They reaped what they sowed. They sowed doubt. They died in the wilderness. But Caleb, he believed. And the Bible says that he looked to that mountain, he, that, that place. He saw that place. And I believe for 40 years plus, I don't know how long, but I know at least 40 years before the last of that first generation died off. Every time he'd see that mountain, he goes, it's mine. I've seen it. I've touched it. It's mine. It's mine. It's mine. It's mine. It's mine. And when God finally gave him the go to cross over, he wasn't 40 years old anymore. He's 80 plus years old. And you're thinking he's in a rocking chair and he can't go get it. Guess what? The Bible says that God sustained him, that he was as strong in that time as he was at 40 years of age. And he was able to take hold of the promise that he had seen that God had given him. And it didn't matter if he was 40, 50, 60, 70, 80, or even 100 years old. God was able to sustain him to receive. Because well, God is not a man that he lies. And I sense the Holy Spirit wanting to remind every one of us that have been waiting for so long to see the harvest come from the seeds you have sown. Isaiah 40, beginning with verse 28. God says, do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is an everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary, and his understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary and increases power of the wicked. Even youths grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar like on wings like eagles. They will run and not be weary. They will walk and not faint. He's not going to forget you or fail you now. He will strengthen you because he says it's harvest time. Psalms 126 verses 5 through 6 says, Those who sow in tears shall reap in joy. He who goes forth and weeps bearing precious seed sowed shall come home again rejoicing, bringing grain sheaves with him. Notice they go out with seed, but they come back with harvest. They come back with harvest. And here's, here's a key that you need to understand. The third law is you always reap more than you sow. You always reap more. I mean, I mean, think about this. In Matthew 13 and 8, it's still 
Jesus said, still other seed fell on good ground and produced fruit, some 100, some 60, some 30 times what was sown. I've heard this parable misused so many times, but the point is simply this, that that seed brings forth a certain amount of harvest. And some of it brought a 30 times one, some 60 times one, some 100 times one. And, and so it always brings forth more than what is sown. You always reap that. If that wasn't true, there's no farmer in their right mind would get up at 4 a.m. and go plow fields and plant a seed only to get one piece of crop. Because you wouldn't, then what would be the point? I mean, if I plant one tomato seed and get one tomato, there's no increase. What's the point of doing it? First Corinthians 9 and 10 says, Now God, who provides seed for the sower and bread for food, will provide and multiply your supply of seed and will cause the harvest of your righteousness to grow. Did you see that? He said, God said, I'm going to give you seed, and I'm going to increase the seed. Why? Because you reap according to that which you sow. God doesn't want you to hoard your seed. God is looking for a harvest. You know, they used to have a saying way back in the 60s, and it said, keep the faith, baby. <laughs> you know, keep the faith. And I remember in my hippie days, we'd say, keep the faith. And that's when I came to Jesus. I said, no, give it away. <laughs> you don't keep it. You don't hoard it. You don't go. But most Christians, that's what they do. They go, it's mine. It's mine. Can't touch it. Can't have it. It's just for me. I get to look at it every once in a while. One Sunday, I'll bring it out and look at it. Can't have it. Yeah. <laughs> God doesn't want you hoarding seed. The purpose of seed is to sow it. And that brings me to the fourth law. And that is, you can't, I can't, we cannot change last year's harvest. I can't undo it. I can't change it. What's already sown and harvested is done. In other words, those opportunities are gone. There ain't no Groundhog Day. Would you get to do the same day over and over and over and over again? For some of you going, I don't understand the Groundhog Day. It's a movie, not a good one, but every day the guy wakes up and it's the same song, it's the same situation, and he learns a little bit more from every day until he gets it perfect. Not real. In case you're wondering, it's not real. There aren't any do-overs for yesterday. I can't get yesterday back. I can't undo where I spread seed. I can't, I can't do anything about that. But too many Christians are looking back to the past and they think that somehow, some way, God can miraculously change that. I can't change that, but God can bring life to the past. And, and when Lazarus, he was told Lazarus was dying, he waited four days to make sure he was good and dead. You know why? Because in Jewish culture, they taught that the spirit of a person hovered above the body for over three, for three days. And, and so that if they, act, if, if they decided to come alive, it was the spirit that came back. So Jesus waited four days to make sure to kill that idea off. And what did he do? He went up and commanded that life to come. Look, I can't, 
I can't undo what has been done from the past, but God has a promise, it says, and it's found in the book of Joel, chapter 2, beginning with verse 25 and 26. And God says, I will repay you for the years the locusts have eaten, the great locusts and the young locusts and the other locusts and the locust swarm, my great army that I sent among you. In other words, God said, I sent this swarm of locusts among you to get you to turn your eyes towards me. That's what he's telling Israel. He said, now that I've got your attention, he said, I'll repay you. In other words, I'll make up for that which the locusts destroyed. And he goes on and says, and you will have plenty to eat until you are full and you will praise the name of the Lord your God who has worked wonders for you. Can I tell you, it's harvest time. God said, I will repay, I will restore. And my my. My exhortation to you, if I could say, my, my, I exhort you to don't focus on the past. Look to sow today for the harvest to come. And that brings me to the last law. And the last law is this. We reap in proportion to what we sow. Okay? In other words, the ratio harvested is in direct correlation to the seed that I planted. I never had a garden before. When I was a kid, you know, I had, in Cub Scouts, I grew like some marigolds and a little egg container and stuff like that, you know, but I never had a garden. And I remember when my wife and I moved to Columbus, Mississippi. My job moved me to Columbus, Mississippi. I, was, I worked for Waffle House, and I was building a brand-new Waffle House there in Mississippi. And we moved into a, 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 a mobile home park not far away. And the, the landlord had a bunch of land down on the end, and he had a garden down there. So I went to him and said, uh, Leon, I said, man, I'd like to plant a garden like you got and he said well you can have some land if you want I said where do I get the seeds and what do I do and he said just go down to the feed store he told me where to go I went down there and the guy said well how many seeds you want I said give me a bunch of them and 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 a bunch of them a bunch of them a bunch of them a bunch of them I came home with bags of seeds and 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 I asked for the information he told me how far apart the seeds had to be spaced and everything you know and so, man, I plowed that ground, I tilled that soil, and I worked it and worked it and worked it and worked it, and then I planted all them seeds. And I thought, man, that's good. Every day I'd run down there at the end and look at seed. Nothing was coming up. But, I, but finally stuff started coming up. But can I tell you something? My landlord laughed at me every time. He said, son, you don't have any idea what you've done. I said, well, tell me what I've done wrong. He said, do you know how much seed you've planted? I said, yeah, all them bags I bought down at the feed store. He said, uh-huh. He said, do you know what that means? Think. No, what's it mean? He said, son, you got work coming your way like you won't believe. I said, oh, yeah, I'm young. I can do that. Can I tell you what? That stuff started coming up, and it started growing faster than I could keep up with it. I couldn't, I couldn't keep the weeds out fast enough. I couldn't pick the, the fruit fast enough because I was building another Waffle House up in Tupelo, Mississippi at that time. And so I was running back and forth, so I told my wife, who had just had my son, go down there and pick the peppers and, 
and get all the okra and, and, and everything else, the beans. And I mean, we had it coming out our ears. And finally, about three-fourths of it just, just went everywhere and never got picked. I couldn't keep up with it. And I learned a valuable lesson. We reap in proportion to how we sow. Next time I did a garden, I said, give me about 10 beans. <laughs> give me about five of those. <laughs> give me three of those. And I, mean, I made that garden where I could handle it, right? I mean, so the ratio harvested is in direct proportion to that which is sown. And given that many of us have wasted years before surrendering to Jesus Christ, we should be eager to be sowing seed into the kingdom of God. In other words, I've wasted X number of years. Man, give me some seed, God. Give me opportunities. I want to sow into your kingdom. I'm making up for all the lost days, the wasted time. See, look, God called you to sow. He's the one that gives the increase. He's the one that, and, and just because you sow, sow, seed the, sow the seed doesn't mean you're the harvester. Paul said, some sow, some water, and some reap. See, that's teamwork. That's kingdom work. And we need to understand. But if someone doesn't sow seeds, when my wife and I first got married, we ended up working for a guy named Norval Hayes, and he had a ministry called um, uh, Campus Challenge. And we worked on the major universities of the country, and we worked in the sororities and fraternity houses in 30-something states every year, twice a year, my wife and I went. And the main job was not holding crusades, was not holding meetings, was not preaching. Our main job was sowing seed. And we had a legitimate way to get into the fraternity and sorority houses because the owner, the, the, uh, the normal owned a huge stationery company in Memphis that did all engraved stationery for all the sororities and fraternities in the country. And we would go in and sell personalized stationery and we'd get a commission off of that. We didn't get paid anything. We had to trust God. But when we went in the frats and sororities, that was like our license to get through the front door. Otherwise, you weren't allowed on campus. We'd say we're from such and such company and we're here and they'd let us in. We'd set up by the doorway of the fraternity house, the sorority house. And we'd go in there and we'd sell that stationery. But while we're there, we got a case of crossing the switchblade books or a book called Monkey Off My Back by a guy who got delivered from drugs through Jesus Christ or some other books. And we would sew them. We'd leave them behind. We'd put them all through the frat house, sorority house. Or people would say, what's that? And we'd say, we'd have them just sitting up on the counter. And they'd say, oh, it's free if you want one. And they would take it. And somebody would say, well, I made you lead to the Lord today. None. But we sowed a case of books. We were sowing seed. See, seed sowing may not be glamorous. But somebody has to do it. Otherwise, there's never going to be a harvest. I'm just telling you. Now, let me close with what the Holy Spirit spoke to me. And that is that And this is why I had to speak this today. Because I, 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 oh, I wish I could just put my finger on it and tell you. But we are entering into 
a global shakeup of immeasurable proportion. God is accelerating the harvest, both negative and positive. Hear me now. Beginning now, this, this time we're in right now, I, I can't say this day. I'm not going to say that because I sense already it's begun. But beginning now and in the coming months, we are going to witness God bring calamity upon the wicked in the world. Now you say, well, no, pastor, I thought that happens in the tribulation. Yes, it does. But there are people who have in high places that God says they've been allowed to this point to cause grief and they're about to reap grief. And they are leaders from different walks of life. And you say, well, how do you know that? Because this is the verse that he gave me before he gave me the message. And it's in Proverbs 22 and 8. It says, whoever sows injustice reaps calamity, and the rod they wield in fury will be broken. The rod means power or authority. And it says they wield it in fury. In other words, they, they use it, they wave it, they, they, they smash things with it, they crush things with it. And, and I looked up the word fury as it is used in, in, in Hebrew there, and it means arrogance and rage. So he says the rod or power and authority that they wield in arrogance and rage will be broken. And I'm just, I'm just going to say it as a matter of record. I believe this with all my heart that there are key people in the very near future that will be removed from the world platform from every walk of life. It's already happening. I've, I've, been, I've been riding off to the side for the last month, month or so of individuals who have dropped dead, even at young ages, key athletes, uh, people in, in uh, how, like government and, and whatever, they, they're reaping what they've sown. And, and the world doesn't understand it. They're looking for an answer. But I'm just telling you that God's accelerating this period of harvest. And, and, but understand this. As God is judging evil... At the same time, we need to understand something. As God does this, it's kind of like poking the hornet's nest. Okay? What do I mean by that? Example that came to mind is in Revelation chapter 12. And, and, it's, and it speaks of Lucifer, uh, Satan. And he's been, the Bible says Jesus said he is presently the prince of the power of the air. 
But in Revelation chapter 12 and 12, it says this, Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. Rejoice about what? In the previous verse, it says Satan has been cast down to the earth. So rejoice, everyone in heaven. But now look what it says. But woe to you on the earth. For the devil has come down to you in great wrath because he knows his time is short. And, and so what I'm saying is that, that, that this, this, this time of, that God is going to judge, bring judgment upon key individuals. They've been in place. They've been in power. They've been wielding this rod. He said, I'm going to remove them. But understand this, that as something is removed, something always fills its place. And many of times, the thing that is removed and that which is replaced is worse than that which was removed. Now, God can change that around and take a person out and put a righteous person in. But he would be putting a righteous person into a system that's evil. Under, just understand that, okay? And, and so when people fear that they're losing their grip of power and influence, they tend to tighten down even more. An example, Pharaoh. Every time Moses went to Pharaoh and said, let my people go or this is going to happen. What happened? Every time he hardened his heart and the plague came and he went to him and said, dude, let my people go. And he said, no. And he said, then this is going to happen. And again, what happened? They tightened down. The ones who had power, they just tightened down and they wielded that rod even more and more and more. And he hardened his heart. And he made it more difficult for the people of God in Egypt, in Goshen. How many of you remember that? He told me, now you got to start making bricks like this. Oh, and now I'm, oh, you think you're smart? Okay, now, now I'm not even going to provide you the straw with which to make bricks. Now you got to go get the straw to be able to make the bricks. I mean, he was making it difficult upon the people of God. And so I'm saying this to you to understand something here. And please don't, don't read into this, the, all the negative that's here. But I don't want you to be surprised at what's coming in the near future. You must remember this. No matter how the world reacts or those in power react, God is behind the scenes and God is on the throne and God is in control. So don't go wringing your hands when you see something happen and go, oh, oh, what are we going to do about this? God is in control. The law of the harvest is we, they reap what they sow. But our source, our resource is not in the government. Our resource is in God. The earth is his footstool. Think about that. God said, if they put my feet up, there's earth. <laughs> I mean, really? 
In Luke 1.79, it says of the birth of John the Baptist that he would come proclaiming about who Jesus was. And I want you to see something, that, that Jesus was to come to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death. There's two meanings behind that phrase. I don't have time to go into all of it. But those who are living in darkness and living in the shadow of death. He came to the Jew first, and then he came to the Gentiles. And he was saying, he said, he came to shine on those living in darkness, the Jews who were under the law, who had, they were the, a corrupt system that was put in place instead of a serving a living God. And he said, those who were also living in the shadow of death, who were those? They were the Gentiles who were in the nearby areas that were living in the shadow of death, of darkness itself. And he says of John, this is what Jesus came to do. And my point is simply this, that genuine revival always breaks out in the worst of times. So the worse that the future looks, the better it looks for revival. Light is brightest in the darkest place. So do not get caught up looking at the things that begin to happen. And maybe, I don't know, persecution. I don't know what's going to happen. I'm just telling you, don't get caught up in that over there. That's the way the enemy looks. He says, look over here, look over here, look over here. Because he doesn't want you to see what God is saying over here. And history shows that revival, genuine revival, not a man-made thing, a genuine move of God breaks out in the worst of times. Because see, there's always two sides to the coin. Even as God is bringing a harvest of judgment that's being reaped upon the evil, God's harvest towards his church, his people, is also going to be increased. Can I say that again? As God is bringing out an increase and in the reaping of harvest upon the evil of, on the earth, God is also going to bring about an increase in the harvest upon his church and upon his people. There's two sides to it. From this side, God is judging evil. From this side, God is increasing his blessing. He's increasing the harvest. I know churches today that are shutting down and they're saying there's no hope for the future. There's no hope. There's no hope. I get articles every week from writers and Christian magazines and stuff who say in the church has no hope in the 21st century, this, that, and everything else. And I'm thinking, yeah, because of people like you. You're sowing, you're sowing defeatism. You're sowing this negative thing. How about get back to the word of God? Our God is an awesome God. He works wonders to perform. He desires to show forth the strength of his right arm. On behalf of his people is what the scripture tells us. He's not doing it to, so he can look in the mirror and go, look at my arm. He wants to do it and say, look what I can do for you. Look what I'm able to do. And if we're looking at all the negative things going, oh, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? What are we going to do? Turn off the TV. Turn off whatever you're reading that's feeding that negative spirit of fear and get in this book. This book is life. These words will come alive inside of you. I gotta quit. 
See, at the same time, those, not Lord said, those that have sown, shown mercy and shown grace, God, the Bible says, surely goodness and mercy will follow them all the days of their life. And this morning I got up and I went to read that and the Holy Spirit said this to me. I wrote it down because I forget. I know none of you forget, but I forget. I mean, it was good, but I, you, you know. And I wrote this down. It says, God's goodness and mercy is not only following you, it's coming right at you. <laughs> I mean, it's coming right at you. <laughs> and it's harvest time. Now, I'm simply trying to make you aware that we have entered into a time of harvest. There's two sides to that harvest. But I want to close with this last statement, and that is that just because it's harvest time, that doesn't mean you quit sowing seeds for Jesus. <laughs> Come on now. You say, oh, I got my harvest. I can quit now. No. If anything, you ought to go out going, look what God has done. Let me tell you about Jesus. Let me tell you about my God. Let me tell you what he's done for me. He can do for you. I want us to read this verse of scripture I read just a minute ago. I want us to read it together out loud. And um, then we're going to pray. And we're going to pray. You've been seating a while. You might want to stand if you want to stand. If you don't want to, you don't have to. That's fine. Um, but I want us to read this scripture together. I, and, and I want us to read it together with meaning. Those who sow in tears shall reap in joy. Stop right there for a minute. you there's been those nights where you've been alone you've been weeping and crying before the Lord pleading with him bring my son home bring my daughter home bring my children home bring my spouse bring my friend Bring my co-worker, bring them home, Jesus. Bring them to the cross. Bring them, Lord. Do you hear me, God? I'm here to tell you the harvest is coming. It's now. Those who sow in tears shall reap in joy. Joy. And he who goes forth and weeps bearing precious seed to sow. He didn't give you seed to eat. He didn't give you seed to put in your pocket. Those who go forth and weep, bearing precious seed to sow. Say this last part with me. Shall come home again with rejoicing, bringing his grain sheaves 
with him. In other words, bringing his harvest with him. As we go out with tears and we weep and we cry before God and say, Lord, I'm sowing, I'm doing, I'm sowing, I'm giving up my life. God, I'm sharing you wherever I go. I, I'm doing acts of kindness in your name. Lord, I'm doing this and letting them know it's Jesus. Why I'm doing this. God, there's coming a harvest. There's coming a harvest. You go out with seed, you're going to come home with a harvest. It's harvest time. Can you say that with me? It's harvest time. It's harvest time. Come on. It's harvest time. I want you to say it until he gets down deep inside. All through the day, I want you to say it over and over and over and over again. I want you, wherever you're going, you're driving down the road, and you come back to this, you say, it's harvest time, Lord. It's harvest time. It's harvest time. It's harvest time. It's harvest time. I, I made this statement last week, and, and, and the Lord just brought it back to remembrance again. I said that God said we need to change the mindset of the people in the church. We look around and say, look at the harvest. No, look at the laborers. You need sowers. You need those who will water. You need those who will reap. But the harvest is a team effort. It's a, it's a kingdom effort. We rejoice when we see someone's child come back to God. We all rejoice. Don't sit on the other side of the house and go, well, my son didn't come back. That ain't fair, God. Rejoice in what God has done for them. Rejoice, because as you sow, guess what? You're going to reap. As you sow, you're going to reap. It's harvest time. It's harvest time. Now, there may be some people here, we're going to pray in just a moment but there may be someone here i don't know that you're sitting here and going pastor bob i don't have a personal walk a personal relationship with jesus christ then can i tell you something the harvest that's coming towards you is god never intended for you but you you've designed it yourself but god so loved the world that he gave his only son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. If you're sitting there and don't have a personal walk with Jesus and you've never surrendered your life to him and you can walk back out the door in control of your life but understand you're in control of the harvest that's coming your way or you can say right now this morning, Jesus, I need you. I want to walk out of here knowing that my past is washed away. It's forgiven by your precious blood. And I want a new start, a fresh start in my life. If that's you this morning and you want me to pray with you or someone to pray with you, I want you, you've never done that. You want to do that. I want you to raise your hand. Be bold about it and say, pray with me this morning, Pastor Bob. I want judgment washed away from my life. I want the history that I've sown wiped clean by the blood of Jesus Christ. Anyone at all? Okay, then I trust everyone in here. You, you know the Lord. Then 
then you, you are here this morning. Are you ready? For some of you, you need to change your thinking, your perspective this morning. And only God is going to be able to do that. It's too easy to get sucked in to the negativism of the world and the things that happen in our lives. The Bible says it rains on the just and the unjust. Can I tell you, bad things happen. That's all I can say. Bad people do bad things. And you can either choose to live carrying that bitterness and anger and everything else and hatred and and disgust and everything, or you can let let it go. Because if you hang on to that, that's what you're going to reap. You cannot reap compassion and mercy and grace when you're holding on to malice and anger and hatred. You can't, it, it don't happen. Fresh water doesn't come from salt water. Figs don't come from blueberries. It's got to be a pure stream. You got to let God forgive. You got to let them go. Years ago, I was angry about a certain person in my life that I've battled for years. And I saw one day, I saw myself, I was a teenager and we were worshiping God. And all of a sudden, Brother Josh, I saw myself in a prison cell. It's like I'm looking out and I'm in a prison cell and there's a key on the other side, but I couldn't reach the key to open the door. I said, Lord, why am I in a prison cell? And he said, because you won't let that person go free. I said, but that person's done this, 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 and this. He said, that's exactly right. Until you let them go free, I can't let you out. And I said, Lord, it doesn't seem fair. I've not done anything to that person. And he reminded me of the scripture. Peter said, Lord, how many times do I need to forgive my brother? Seven times? No, what did Jesus say? Seventy times seven per day. I mean, that's virtually every moment, every minute, you're forgiving, forgiving, forgiving. And then I went to the scripture and in the Psalms, I saw where the psalmist said, bring my soul out of prison that I might praise your name. I said, that's it. I said, God, you mean I can't even worship you and praise you properly without letting that person go? God, I let him go. Let me out of this prison cell. Let me out of this prison cell. And I saw, in the spirit, I saw a hand turn the key and that door swing wide. And I stepped out and I was free. The weight that I had been carrying, that I hadn't even realized I was carrying, went off of me in that moment. We're living in a time, it's too short, it's too desperate. God cannot have his people bound up with all this garbage. It's time to let it go. Jesus, right now, Holy Spirit, look in the heart of every person here. Speak to them right now. If there's an area in their life, a person in their life, they need to let go. They need to forgive. They need to release to you without any conditions. God, you're not making deals with us this morning. He said, let them go. 
Otherwise, the harvest that you reap will be of your own doing. God, we can sing songs about how we want more of you, more of you. But John the Baptist said, I have to decrease that he be, that he increase. God, this morning, set your people free. Set them free, Lord. Set them free. Those who have wounded us so deeply, we set them free, Lord. We wash our hands and we say, enough. God, I can't lift my hands. You said, holy hands you're looking for. I can't lift holy hands as long as I'm holding on to that junk. God, I lift holy hands to you this morning. Come on, let them go. Let them go. Let them go. Jesus. 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 Come on. Come on, church. Just for a moment. Press in. The presence of God is here. pleasing to him everything that is unholy harvest time there's a move of Holy Spirit across the land 
about the four corners of the earth from every wind. He's blowing, he's moving, he's stirring things. There's a change that's taking place, a shift that is taking place across the earth. We will wake up, Lord God, one morning and see certain things in headlines and we'll wonder what in the world is happening and we will remember this day and we will be reminded of the fact that God, you are accelerating things into this period of time and that there is massive change coming, but the church and its message never changes. The landscape may change around us, the culture itself may change, but the message and the Christ who is at the center of that message never changes. Open our eyes and give us understanding. We cast out the spirit of fear. We cast out the spirit of fear and anxiety. In the name of Jesus, God, give us eyes to see and ears to hear that we wake up every morning with an understanding that it's the day of harvest. It's the day of harvest. There's an influx. There's, a, there's an influx that's coming. Father, by your spirit, it's happening. We won't be surprised when we get a phone call from someone we haven't spoken to in 20 years. God, when they call us and say, I felt like I needed to call you. God, we won't go, oh, well, I'm so surprised. We'll say, I've been expecting that call. Because God, you have awakened and stirred our hearts and our spirit that there is a moving of, 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 the, of the spirit of God across the planet, Lord. And in your church, there's a shuffling and a changing and a reassignments that are being given out. And we're excited to see what the day what tomorrow brings and the day after should we wake up and there's breath in our lungs God let us realize that we're waking up not just to be spectators but to be participators in the kingdom and in the harvest let us sow with every opportunity and let us reap that which we have sown over time let us see the fruit of it Lord God and we choose to give you the praise we choose to give you the praise in the mighty name of Jesus in the mighty name of Jesus won't you turn to about four or five people and just tell them and mean it it's harvest time I want you to turn to them get up out of your seat if you have to go to them and say it's harvest time it's harvest time it's harvest time glory to your name Jesus Glory to your name, Jesus. Jesus, we praise you, Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. 